Today we are entering the book of Revelation, not in search of dragons, scrolls, or numbers on people's foreheads. But John of Patmos, who is said by tradition to be the same John as the disciple of Jesus, has visions when he was exiled to the island of Patmos. And uh, it is there off of the coast of what is Turkey today. And, And early in the letter, John gives sort of instructions to a number of churches that are on the mainland. In fact, he does it geographically. He's sort of working his way through a series of churches that this letter was meant to be delivered to. And he, he speaks to each particular community and to issues that many, but, but also to churches, issues that churches still face today. And so we're going to read today the, the, the letter to the last church. And there's a handout in your bulletin and uh, that will just give, give you a little sense of the place. I'll, I'll point some things out as we talk here. But let's just have a little bit of fun. Turn to your neighbor or somebody in the, if you're in the, in the car alone, you could just try this. But try to say how you would say the name of that church. Okay, everybody see the name of the church? So see if you can guess. Say it to the name, the person next to you or in the car. Okay, so let's. So I looked this up, trying to figure this out before today. And uh, uh, normally the accent is on the second to last syllable, which would make this Laodicea. Laodicea. Uh, so there you go, uh, your pronunciation for the day. I'm not even sure if that's totally right, but that's what I got. So either way, we're going to talk about Laodicea. Before I read the letter in Revelation, I'm going to give you some background to the city, because if you understand the city, the letter makes immediate sense. Um, and then we'll, we'll be able to dive in a little bit more. So John of Patmos knows this city well. It's it's a it, Laodicea is a it was at the time a wealthy city. You can see even in the ruins the bright white columns. Okay, this was a great Greek and then Roman city. It was on a major two two major trade routes, one traveling north and south and one basically traveling east and west. And so the the city profited from the traveling and the trade that would come through the city. And uh, in in that city, we have a stadium, a theater, multiple temples for worship. We know this was a very wealthy city. The city was also the banking center for the whole region, okay, which which means it was making money not just on its own business, but it was actually making money on everybody else's business as the center for banking. The, The sheep herders at Laodicea had bred special sheep that had black fur. So most of the sheep in that area had white to sort of brownish fur. But they had sort of line bred this very soft wool that uh, was black or, or is even described sometimes almost like a raven black, had almost like a purplish uh, hue to it. It was very expensive and it was very fashionable. Clothes made from wool from the Laodicea region was uh, very popular, very expensive. It was also a medical center. People came from here for miles around to, to go to medical school, and they even would come there for treatments, and then also they would sell and export products. One of the things they were known for was an eye salve. An eye, it was probably more like a powder than an ointment at the time, but it was the stuff that was supposed to help your eyes, and it was traded throughout the Roman Empire. Laodicea is a very, very wealthy, wealthy city. So much so that when an earthquake devastated the region, somewhere around AD 60 or 61, 
the Roman Empire came in and gave money to rebuild all these other cities, but Laodicea didn't take any Roman money. They were like, no thanks, we've got the cash, we'll just take care of it ourselves. They're, as far as we can tell, the, the only city in the area that had the ability to do that. Everybody else had to take money from the Roman government. Or places like Col- Colossae, we're going to see in a second, didn't even rebuild. They never rebuilt their city. The problem in Laodicea was the water. Okay, In Laodicea, there was a Lycus River. The river was not very strong, though. In the summer, it would often dry up, giving you no water. They had to pump in their water from a nearby city. In the Roman Empire, it, you, you wanted either hot water for taking a bath, and Romans had all these bath houses for that kind of thing, or you wanted cold water for drinking. What nobody wanted was lukewarm water. You didn't want room temperature water. The, the, the prize in the Roman Empire, like the Greeks before them, was to have either hot water or cold water. Okay, But Laodicea didn't have hot water or cold water. To the north, you can see on a little map there, there was this city of Hierapolis. Hierapolis was built on a cliff to take advantage of hot springs that came out of the mountain there. And they are, they are very warm. To this day, there's all these resorts. People still use the hot springs from there. And it was very minerally, uh, it was mineral rich water. So what would happen is the, the water that wasn't used would often spill off the cliff and it would build up mineral deposits at the base of this cliff and they say you could see it for miles as you were heading towards that city. So Laodicea built aqueducts to bring water from there and you can see pictures at the bottom. We still can find some of the aqueducts going to and from Laodicea. Why? They wanted the hot water for the bath. But here's a couple problems. Number one, by the time it traveled all the way to Laodicea, it wasn't hot water anymore. It was lukewarm water. So they, they actually built piping inside of stone. You can see that at the bottom right of the, of the page. They actually built these channels and rocks so that they could run it inside the rock, hoping it would stay warm. But guess what? There's so many minerals in that water that the minerals would deposit on the sides of the pipes and it would clog the pipes. So they couldn't even get all the lukewarm water down to Laodicea. Now, to the southeast was the city of Colossae. That's what the book of Colossians, the city the, the book of Colossians was written to. It was destroyed in the 60 or 61 AD earthquake, but was never rebuilt. They didn't have the money for it. But what they did have, and it is only about 11 miles away from Laodicea, is they had mountain runoff water from the snow-capped Mount Cadmus there in western Turkey. So they had nice, cold drinking water. Except when Laodicea would pipe that in, the 11 miles, in Turkey, modern-day Turkey, by the time it got there, the pipes would have heated it up, and it was then, guess what, lukewarm water. So they can't get hot water or cold water. They have to have just lukewarm water. And I don't know about you, uh, but, but I know a lot of people like hot coffee. I know a lot of people like cold coffee. But when the coffee's been sitting there for two hours on the counter, you don't like it anymore, right? Like, it's good for nothing at that point. So this is Laodicea. They've got all this wealth, maybe even some arrogance and some snootiness about them. What they have is a water problem, a, a lukewarm water, so it's not desirable for anything. Now, let me read Revelation chapter 3, verse starting in verse 14, the letter to Laodicea. 
and watch how many of these things about the city are going to come into play in the letter. And the angel of the church in Laodicea, and to the the angel of the church of Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So first of all, notice the severity of this letter. This is the last of the seven letters, and it's the worst. It's the harshest. Okay, This is a, a reprimand against this church. Notice also immediately that once you know a little bit about the city, like the water being rich, notice the reference to white garments. Notice the salve to anoint your eyes. This is written very specifically to this church and using aspects of what's going on in this church and in this culture to try to critique them. So let's walk through it. As prosperous as the city of Laodicea was, the church must have greatly deteriorated spiritually. John of Patmos uses the water system as a metaphor for the people. If you were hot or you were cold, you'd be good for something, you'd be a benefit for your city, but instead... You're lukewarm. You're like the coffee that's been sitting out for several hours, right? Nobody wants that coffee. Now, now that doesn't mean that hot is good and cold is bad. It's just the, the metaphor is that you, you pick a side. What you can't be is lukewarm. Don't be in the middle. Don't be good for nothing. That is how God views this church, just like you and I might drink a lukewarm drink. In fact, God finds their weak faith gross. The English here says that God would spit them out, but I have news for you, that's a very nice way of saying what the Greek is saying. It's much more violent than, than spit. It could be translated better, maybe spew, maybe even vomit. I'm going to very quickly get you out of my mouth. So God is saying to this church, look, this, this halfway lukewarm stuff isn't cutting it. It's nauseating. It makes me sick. I'm going to get rid of you. Part of the problem, according to this letter, is their affluence. They don't think they need anything. They're, they're even prideful about their self-reliance. They take care of themselves. Remember, they, they had rejected Rome's help when they had to rebuild their city. seems like the whole attitude of this city was, we're self-reliant, we're on top of it, we got things put together, we don't need help. And to be a church in that city, apparently, they were influenced by that perspective. seems like they were like that with God, too. That they, they aren't active, they, they, they weren't humble and dependent of God, and, and God found it nauseating. 
He was sick of it. They say they're rich. They say they've prospered. They say they don't need anything. Maybe that's true physically and economically. But, but John is saying, you're, you're, you're wretched, you're pitiable, you're poor, you're blind, you're naked. You think you have everything. You have nothing. You, you think you have everything put together. You have nothing. Pretty much sums up the bottom of the barrel. Wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, naked. Then God offers them three things. God offers them gold refined by fire, white, white garments to clothe themselves, and salve to anoint their eyes. This gold is gold refined by fire. In other words, you can have all the gold in the world, but you don't have the gold that I have for you. That's what the Lord is saying to Laodicea. Well, the thing that makes you truly rich, you seem to be missing that. you got all this other gold, but you don't have what only I can give you. White garments, well, what did I tell you? They were known for what color? The black garments of the sheep that they raised, especially in this area. That's partly where their wealth came from. And so when, when God says, I, I have white garments for you, it's as opposed to the black garments that you seem to make so much money on and pride yourself so much on. The clothes, the things that you're putting together for yourself, they're nothing compared to what I can give you. All, all, all the fancy dress, all the money that you have isn't going gonna, isn't gonna to cover the nakedness and the shame that you have spiritually. The salve that God offers for their eyes is in contrast to the salve that, of course, they sell in the city, that they make so much money on. What, what God has is a salve that will heal them from spiritual blindness, and all their medical products, as valuable as they might be, aren't going to touch the spiritual sight that they seem to be lacking. Then God says to them, Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. I want to hang on these words for just a minute, because this is a really important thing for Christians to understand. God is not disciplining the church at Laodicea, and he doesn't discipline us because of a lack of love. It's specifically because of his love that he comes and he disciplines us. Okay, We all know parents that never disciplined their kids, that just never did. And their kids grew up and they couldn't function in life because they never had discipline. They never understood. Like, it, it's not loving to not discipline. That's cruel. Maybe cruel also to over-discipline, right? Or to have discipline without love. But God disciplines us precisely because he loves us. And so sometimes when God is hard on us, it's actually a sign that he loves us more, not less. And it's hard for us to see it like that when we're in the middle of it. But sometimes God reproves, he corrects, he, he disciplines. Why? Because he wants us to repent. To repent is not to say, I'm sorry, to repent is to relent, it's to go a different way. And so what God does sometimes to us is he, he, it's, he comes to us and he disciplines us because he needs us to go a different way. And we see it as cruel, like a child might react to a parent saying no, but, but what we understand as we mature is that saying no is sometimes important. And so God is coming to them and saying, I don't want you to be crippled little children that, that don't know discipline. I want you to repent and understand what you need. That God's correcting is a sign of his love, not his anger. 
And to further show that he's not judging the church at Laodicea too harshly, God gives them this wonderful image of him standing at the door and knocking. Now, if you've heard a message about this or you've seen this on a, on a picture or something, we often talk about this in terms of your own heart. Like, God is standing at the door of your heart, he's knocking, and you need to let him in. And, and I think that's probably true, but that is not what Revelation is talking about. This isn't about your heart. This isn't about personal salvation. This is about the people of the church. Okay, these are, these are people that should be saved already. They've already let him in his heart. What's the problem? They're not letting him into, his lo- into their lives. They're living their life, and they're doing all these things, but, but, but God has no part in the play. God has no part in the party. And, and the idea maybe here is not just opening the door to let him in, but coming into a banquet. Jesus is ready to party. He's ready to be really active in the life of this church. And, and will the church let him in? That's the question. So even though Laodicea has been doing their own thing and avoiding God and, and, and not needing God, what's God still doing? He's saying, I'm still knocking. I'm still here. I'm still ready to come in and be a part of what you're doing. Let me in. Then the letter ends with this verse. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Conquering is a huge theme in Revelation. The whole point is that Jesus is conquering. In fact, he's so confident in his conquering that if you pay attention in Revelation, when he goes to battle, he's dressed in white. When you dress in white for battle, you're really confident in how this is going to go. Okay? He's there for the conquering. But he's saying, if you want to sit on my throne with me and, and have some rule and some honor in this world to come, you have to conquer. Well, what's this conquer? Well, there's, there's another battle that happens. And it's a battle that happens after we're saved. And it's the battle of, of uh, leadership, of lordship. It's the battle of, will we let Jesus rule in our hearts and in our minds? Will we let him be a part of our life? Can we conquer our own struggles? Can we conquer our own heart? Can we conquer the things that get in the way of us being with God and living for God? And for this church at Laodicea, it seems to be their wealth, their affluence, their importance, their strength. They're too strong to have Jesus come in and be Lord. Like they're still a church, so they still must, you know, believe in Jesus. But will they actually let him be Lord? Will they actually get a little bit warmed up here to what God is doing? And I don't think we're talking about saving ourselves or this church saving themselves. After all, Jesus holds the gold. He, owns, he holds the white cloths. He holds the eye ointment. But the question is, can we, can we, after salvation, continue to conquer ourselves? God keeps knocking, but no one is answering. And when I look at the church of Laodicea, I unfortunately see a lot of parallels with the American church today. I mean, I, I think the American church has been pretty affluent. Okay, we, we've had money, we've had popularity, we've had kind of a home field advantage in our culture for a long time. Remember, there was a day when there was nothing else open. None of these other restaurants would be open while we were doing this. So what else did you have to do? And there was all this cultural pressure to come to church if you wanted to be a part of anything in the community. 
Churches had money and influence. Bucks in the plate and butts in the seats. Right? We had the strategic plans and committee structures and special events. I think what happened in the church in America is, in some ways, we got affluent. We got self-reliant. And in the end, we got lukewarm. We've lost our standing in our community. Our pews are less full, and so are our offering plates. More churches close their door every day. And most American churches, I fear, have little to no noticeable impact in their communities. Statistically speaking, Christians don't go to church near as regularly. They rarely pray and rarely read their Bibles. And if I could borrow a little bit from our text for today, it's nauseating. It's nauseating. It's a very lukewarm sort of church that we live in in America today. And in the last year and a half, as the global pandemic stripped us of most of what we thought the church was supposed to do, we were left picking up the pieces and having to look hard in the mirror at what it means to be a church. Now, I can't fix the church in America today, but I do wonder what is next for Northminster Church of Laodicea. I mean, Newcastle. Right? Are there ways in which we are lukewarm? Are there ways in which we need to take a look in the mirror? Because I don't think the future belongs to churches that have great strategic plans or all these real structured programming. I believe the church of tomorrow, the future belongs to churches that can turn up the heat. Right? That, that can get on fire for Jesus. That get on fire in their lives. The future belongs to churches that pour themselves into loving God and loving their neighbor. What can you do to serve more? To give more? To pray more? How can you tie deeper into Christian community? Where are you serving? Where, where are you making a noticeable impact in our community, in your neighborhood, with your neighbors? What are you doing to pick up your Bible and learn more? To take Sabbath more seriously? I believe the words to Laodicea are the same words to us. Lukewarm isn't going to cut it anymore. We've got to turn up the heat. We've got to turn up the heat. We've got to open the door to God who is knocking and ready to show up and is already showing up in our midst. May those of us who have ears hear what the Spirit is saying to our church. Amen.